Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Getting it to you Tuesday afternoon. We're busy. There's stuff going on. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Buckeyes coverage team. Try the text, 614-350-3315. Heisman Talk. Heisman Talk. They're releasing. Nathan, they're releasing the Heisman finalists at 730 on Christmas Eve. What? What? Like, is Santa delivering them? What is the plan? 7.30 on Christmas Eve? It's a personal affront from the Heisman people. Uh, the Heisman Trophy, uh, as people have heard me speak of on this program, is, I think, I wouldn't say a travesty, but it's, it's pretty stupid year in and year out. I'm not a fan, and this is just furthering a tradition of um, nonsense. How about that for the start of a podcast about the Heisman Trophy? Next up, from the Heisman Trophy Trust... <laughs> Skip Jenkins will join us to talk about wearing a blazer in New York City. This is like I thought last week it was a little bit weird that the Big Ten was announcing it. It turned its two-day All Big Ten thing instead of doing it like Monday, Tuesday. They did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So they did a bunch of their All Big Ten stuff. Offensive Big All Big Ten stuff was on the same day as signing day. I thought that was a really stupid uh, planning decision to potentially bury that within there. Um, but this is an even higher level like nobody's gonna be who cares at 7 30 on christmas eve i don't but i have to care now because i have to go post a story um on christmas eve because of these jokers papa do you think justin fields will be a heisman finalist it's all i want for christmas well that's that's the worst part of it i'm gonna have to go post a story about how an ohio state player is not a heisman finalist yeah and that's where we'll start uh well we'll start a couple different places I mean, this is a big chunk of this. We're not just going to talk about Kyle Trask because nobody listening to this cares about Kyle Trask. But we all picked Justin Fields to win the Heisman before the year. And that's where we're going to begin some of this. Steven, were we crazy? Were we homers? Were we blinded by Justin's dazzling skills and handsomeness? Like what? Or did COVID just ruin Justin Fields Heisman season like where what why did we all pick him 
Well, we all picked him because he's one of the two best quarterbacks in the country, and it made perfect sense, and the rest of the world would have agreed with us that either if you asked who's going to win the Heisman Trophy in 2020, if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields didn't come out of your mouth, then you were probably going to have to elaborate a little bit further to convince people. So it made perfect sense at the time. Um, even, even after the Big Ten canceled its season and then started the season back up and gave guys an eight-game schedule with no wiggle room, it still made sense that you know, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman. And then after you saw the Nebraska game, and especially the Penn State game at the time before we found out Penn State sucks, it was very clear that, okay, yeah, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman. But then a combination of maybe canceled games and not being able to play a consistent schedule where you know, maybe on a Thursday you find out you're not playing the game, along with his two biggest games, he just didn't show up the way he needed to. That combination of things is why we are now in a situation where we're probably not even considering him to be a finalist let alone win the award. So just to rehash, in case people forgot, and I occasionally forget things because I'm old and my brain is decaying. Justin finished third last year. Chase Young finished fourth. J.K. Dobbins finished sixth. And during the Alabama-Florida game on CBS the other night, I, could, I was listening and I went back and re-listened to it, and I still couldn't tell exactly what they were saying. But they were talking about Mac Jones, the quarterback, Devontae Smith, the receiver, and Najee Harris, the running back for Alabama, all being legitimate Heisman contenders. And then they were talking about the idea of a school having three Heisman finishers that were high up. And they went back to 1973. And the Ohio State season, when Ohio State had three guys in the top six, John Hicks, I can't remember who the other one was, Randy Gratishar and somebody else. I should have looked it up first. But they put their pictures up on TV, and I double-checked, and all those guys did get first-place votes that year. But I think they finished second, fourth, and sixth or something like that. But it was sort of like top six. And they were talking about it like it was the last time it happened, except it happened to Ohio State last year. And they didn't mention it. And I don't know if the research intern – forgot to click on 2019 i couldn't i couldn't tell that maybe the exact parameters were missing it but like cbs sec it happened a year ago because that was a comparison we were all using last year so i just want to remind people that don't forget there were three ohio state people in the top six a year ago let's start with this texture poll because i'm just in love with the texture polls i'm so good at it now i used to be so terrible it's my biggest area of growth in 2020 not as a father not as a husband not as a writer not as a podcaster as a polar in a weird in a world where every other poll got lambasted this year because everybody got the election wrong i have figured out how to do polls to our tech subscribers 614-350-3315 so now i just love doing them all the time and it's our 2020 heisman trophy survey and I asked this question off the top, trying to view him without any Ohio State favoritism. Do you think Justin Fields should be voted in the Heisman Trophy top three? So there's two things we'll talk about here. One is your ballot. It's three people on a ballot. The other is finalists. And it's between three and five, could be up to six finalists. But you don't vote for six. So the idea is, well, sometimes in a wide open field, there's so many different people who could get voted for. It's worth bringing five or six people but I'm trying to figure out an individual person's ballot. These were the choices I gave about should Justin be in the top three? Yes, clearly. 
he should be in the top three. Yes, but it's close. He should barely be in the top three. No, but it's close. He barely missed the top three. Or no, clearly. If you have a ballot and you are filling it out, you just there's no way you can put Justin Fields in the top three. Steven, which one of those do you think won? No, clearly. No, clearly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, what do you think won? I think that this past game pushed it to no clearly. What, got, what would you guys vote? No clearly. Yeah, no clearly. Okay. You really have faith in our tech subscribers to be that clear-eyed about Justin Fields at this point? That they can put aside their Ohio State passion – and just look at performance and say, I, I just could not vote for him. I, I asked them to, in the phrasing of the question, you think they could actually do it? Our texters, yeah, they're smart. I think our texters can, yes. Okay, I'm trying to get you guys to not believe in the texters. Of course they did it. 63% <laughs> no, clearly. 63%, two-thirds, no, clearly. 30% no, but it's close. So... Our tech subscribers, the smartest, most loyal Ohio State fans around, 93% aren't voting for Justin Fields. 5% yes, but it's close. 3% yes, clearly. I did not necessarily realize this, and I just did the stats again because I did them the other day, and then I couldn't remember why I did them. This is the breakdown of Justin Fields' season. The first three games he played and the second three games he played. The first three games, 72 for 83, 87% completions, 908 passing yards, so 303 passing yards per game, 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions. This was perfect, Justin Fields. This was can-do-no-wrong, Justin Fields. And that's the Justin Fields that we were evaluating as a Heisman candidate. This is Justin Fields in his last three games. 47 of 81, so it's like basically the same number of attempts in both, both groups, and it's 25 fewer completions. 58% completion compared to 87%, 613 yards instead of 908. So instead of throwing for like 303 a game, he's throwing for 204 a game, so 100 fewer yards per game. And then this. Four touchdown passes, five interceptions. From 11 to zero to four to five. I knew it. We all saw it. We can talk about, and we will talk about the why. But Nathan, I mean, it's when you just look at the numbers, it is amazing the drop-off from Justin Fields. And again, it, it, it's small sample size, but it's skewed even more when you take out the Michigan State game, really, because he was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week for the Michigan State game in the middle of that those three games, partially because of what he did with his feet. He wasn't out just chucking it all over the place. But really, it's just the Indiana game and the Northwestern game that take that first half and, and chuck it as far as your Heisman Trophy candidacy. I mean, a third of his season this year were bad games. Like, you can't win the Heisman Trophy that way. And I mean, one of those games was bad, I think, because of what Indiana was – doing the way you were attacking him and it rattled him the, the Northwestern game. I still don't think we have a great solution, but that was the worst game. And, and, you know, the two, the two biggest games of the year, they won. You could say in spite of Justin Fields, certainly the, well, certainly the Northwestern game. At least Northwestern didn't have, Chris, didn't have Chris Olave. So that's true. The one yeah. thing. Right. 
I think it's a, it's a combination of things. One, he didn't play bad, but also his play caller didn't do any, any favors with one, some of the play calls that they had on Saturday. And even in the Indiana game, we had this conversation. Um, it, it was a bit of a combination of your quarterback maybe letting off the handle a little too much, but then also you didn't help him out because some of the play calls you probably didn't need to call in the first place. I don't know, though, man. Like, yeah, but also he played defenses with a pulse. I mean, it's like, okay, well, yeah, Indiana blitzed you, and I don't know, you didn't pick yeah, it up or whatever. But, both. like, this is what it's like when you play defenses that aren't Rutgers. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, and, again, it's not like, listen, there's a bunch of ding-dong play callers out there. It's not like Ryan Day isn't acknowledged as a good play caller. Now, yeah. yes, absolute room for criticism of Ryan Day's play calling at various points. And I wrote a whole column about it. He got a little pass happy, a little pass happy against Northwestern and got to the run late. But this, I've been obsessed with it. The Justin balance of holding the ball and making plays. And then they were even talking about it, you know, on the broadcast in the, in the big 10 championship game, there was a play where he held it and got sacked. Then he held it the next play and got away and ran. And it's the same discussion. That's why he holds it. Cause he always believes himself yeah. to make a big play. I mean, it's just, he, he is, I've always been not that he needs anybody on his side, but I've all, I've always been on the side of, I want him to hold it. I want him to make big plays. I, I don't think his equation's a little off right now. And there are some times when he holds the ball that Nathan is like, it's like, what are you doing? And I'm not here to like rip Justin Fields, but we are evaluating him at this point. I think this is a Heisman trophy podcast. We're going to do a big preview on the Wednesday podcast of like a Clemson on Clemson preview. And then Thursday, we're going to like sort of review what we thought about the season and what actually happened. So we, and then we're next week, we're going to podcast like crazy. But the context of Justin Fields, there's only three contexts that matters because the baseline is he's a very good football player. So the context is this is Heisman Trophy context. That's what we're talking about today. There's a context of can he lead his team to a victory against Clemson by playing at a very high level? Because I think we all would agree if he doesn't play well, they are not going to win. And then there's the context of this guy's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick. How is he going to be evaluated against all the other great quarterbacks out there? And will he be a great NFL quarterback? So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about whether he's good or not. He's good. But, man, Nathan, I feel like there are times now where he's holding it too much. And it's sort of like I don't know what the defense is for it. Yeah, and I don't feel like as much as we criticize the play calling from that game, I don't think – none of the criticism I've heard has come from like Ryan day was putting Justin Fields in position to fail. It was more like what it meant for the team. It wasn't, he was calling plays that Justin Fields had to throw interceptions on. Like that's not what was happening out there. I think there's the decision-making has not been good against the two best defenses they've played. I don't know how else to say it. And he, they're both games where he has looked, you know, think back to 2019. I can think of the, the only time all year where I thought it was early in the Michigan state game, a game they ended up winning like 38 to seven where they got after him a little bit. And I thought he looked a little bit rattled. He threw his first interception in that game. And I thought he calmed down and there was never really any other time all season, including against Clemson, including against some of the other good teams they played where I thought he looked lost or confused or unsure of himself. And I think it's happened multiple times this year. And I don't know if that's just because of how good the defenses were that they were playing in those two instances or how aggressive, especially Indiana's defense was, or if it's, if, if something is, if, if he's being affected a little bit by just the sporadic second half of this season, I guess a lot of players probably have, but just that he hasn't been able to lock in in the way he was early this year. I mean, early this year, if, if he can regain that early season form and he's got, I guess, less than two weeks to try to do it um, and, and a really tough opponent to try to do it against. But if you're able to regain some of that form, I think Ohio state has 
a great chance to, to beat Clemson. But if we see anything close to the Justin Fields we saw against Northwestern, I don't think they have any chance to beat Clemson. I do wonder, though, Master Teague's had a moment as a running back this year against Penn State. Now Trey Sermon has had his moment. I do wonder how that helps if, if now that they have those two games on film that Clemson can look at. Because part of the thing was with the Northwestern, and not back on the play calling, but it was a lot of play action, a lot of situations where Trey Sermon would have a great run and they were going to try to do it to set up the pass. And there's a lot of play action, especially in the red zone with this offense. And when your run game's not really a threat and your, your still main priority is not giving up big plays, the play action is not going to work as much because, you know, the pass isn't always going to be there. I do wonder now that we've seen both of those running backs have a pretty quality moment this year, how Clemson adapts to that. Maybe that does open up some of these, these lanes that maybe weren't open against Northwestern. I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you've seen Clemson's numbers on, on defending the run this year, I don't think they're worried that much about Trey Sermon Ooh. and or Master Teague. Maybe the offensive line, but I don't think they're worried about those running backs. The thing that is a little difficult with Justin, I, I, sometimes I, I already laid down the baseline. Listen, I, he's great. I mean, he really is. I, I really think he's going to be a he's going to be a better NFL quarterback. Dwayne Haskins is like can't get out of his own way in the NFL. Go go Google Dwayne Haskins and what he's doing lately. It's like Dwayne, come on, man. So like Justin Fields is a better NFL quarterback prospect than Dwayne Haskins because Justin actually is a more accurate thrower than Dwayne and is certainly more mobile than Dwayne. And we've seen just how it helps you so much in the NFL. Now, if you can move a little bit, Josh Allen can move a little bit and sling it and he's playing great. Kyler Murray Murray can move and sling it and he's playing great. So Justin has that. Um, And I think Justin is, I think Justin's like very together. Like I don't, I don't have any question. I mean, like Carson Wentz is getting a little loose and like, getting a little upset about losing his job and maybe reports are he wants out. But I think Justin Fields is going to like handle an NFL locker room really well. So all that stuff, but it's like, okay, Nathan, you said he was, he was great last year that, you know, through the first pick against Michigan state, then through two against Clemson. He also made some really good plays against Clemson, but it's like, he didn't throw any picks last year until he played good defenses. And then this year it's like, okay, ripped up. He was 11 touchdowns and no interceptions. And then he played some good defenses and then he started throwing picks. So there's been this thing where like at times Justin looks perfect, but it's getting a little bit to the point of like against awful teams, he is unstoppable against awful teams. He's like four touchdowns, no interceptions, 90% completion. And then against a defense that can do anything, he forces things. He holds things. He's clearly not as comfortable. And the whole point is like, yes, of course, that's everybody. Against better competition, you're not as good. But there is getting a little bit to be a point of like, it's really quite a contrast in some ways. And so, you know, from the NFL draft standpoint, I would have said, I mean, I think coming into this year, I was on the like, are we sure, sure, sure Trevor Lawrence is a better draft prospect than Justin Fields? Are we positive? Might that be a little closer than we think? And there were some NFL draft analysts that would say that too. And then as the season went along and Trevor Lawrence sort of emerged in the, in the discussion more as like a generational guy, he's clearly the guy, but I would have said Justin's too. Justin's too. I don't want to hear Zach Wilson. I don't want to hear Trey Lance. Justin's too. Justin's cracked the door a little bit. I mean, like, you know, they're going to break down every bit of the film. He only had six games this year instead of 11 or 12. And now he's, you know, he needs a big game, I think, personally against Clemson or I think he's in danger of like hey this guy when he plays a good defense and you put a little pressure on him he doesn't make good decisions like Steven that's that's on the table for Justin if he doesn't play well against Clemson I think and to that point in the nine games they've played against ranked opponents with Justin Fields he's averaging 269 yards 
two and a half touchdowns and an interception with 64% completion rate, which is a pretty solid outing, but some of those bad games are pretty loud. So I do think that sadly, because he's had a shortened season, all those things, whatever, but we have kind of found out that with anybody, if you play better teams, you're not going to play as well. But yeah, there is a big difference between a guy who's, there's a perfect Justin Fields and then there's whatever else these other nine games have been. And that's, and you've got to, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. He's not, but there's got to be, there's got to be a way for him to not be so boom bust all the time, I guess. There's a lack of a better way of putting it. One of the things that we brought up as we were sort of, we had a meeting on uh, Tuesday to talk about some stories we might want to do. And Deshaun Watson is, um, I think like as a player is not like a necessarily ideal comparison for, for Justin. I mean, Deshaun, I just, I think is a different type of quarterback um, in a lot of ways, but in terms of like, what's at stake, what you can show people, what kind of player you can prove you are. We, we found it interesting that Sean Watson had a year where he lost to Alabama in the playoff, and then he came back and beat Alabama for the national championship, and that sort of like cemented Deshaun Watson as who Deshaun Watson was. And this is an opportunity for Justin Fields. He lost to Clemson in the playoff. He has a chance to come back and beat that team and show people who he is. Talking about playing well against a great team, I just would like to throw out in the national championship game when Deshaun Watson and Clemson came back and beat Alabama in the 2017 season, Deshaun Watson, 36 of 56, 420 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 21 carries for 43 yards and a touchdown. So he threw for 420 yards, three touchdowns and no picks against Alabama to in the national championship game. So I'm not saying Justin Fields has to do that exactly, but Nathan, like it is a B- a star on a huge stage against a great team. And he did, he did make some really good plays. He, he played well a, a lot against Clemson last year, but this is it, right? There, there is so much, I think in the end, like, like Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence in a lot of ways. He won a national title already. He's going to be the number one pick no matter what. This is the game that I think will define how we really remember Justin Fields as is he like an, a legend or is he like a really good player? And not that, you know, both are still pretty good, but a legend doesn't go out and, you know, whatever, throw three picks and go 21 for 38 for 169 yards and a loss to Clemson, right? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, his legacy, I think, is secure up to a point. I mean, I don't think they make the playoffs last year without him, despite how talented the rest of that team was. I don't know that they'd be in position to be in the playoffs this year without him, obviously, because he's so good. So those things matter. Uh, But he also kind of is in a position now where he needs to go have his Heisman moment now that the Heisman is already decided and out of reach. This is now he has to go have that moment. Um, It never really came to him this season as far as like a make or break time where he had to be on the field and, and, and make plays, but that's now it, it's starting from kickoff of that game. And it's the whole 60 minutes. He's going to have to, I write texted about it today. I think, especially with everything that's going on in this program right now, as far as who can play and who can't and the stops and starts and uh, the uncertainty and the frustration he can be uh, when he is at his best or maybe not even close to his best. Cause his best, as we've said is, is perfection. And that's a really tough thing to maintain, but if he can just be up there in the upper uh, percentage of what he is uh, or was early this season, um, not even just in terms of production, but just in terms of execution, then I think it, it lifts the rest of his team. I think it gives his team a confidence 
and a it brings a kind of a sense of calm and helps with with smooth out all the other problems that might be going on. I think it needs a Vince Young moment, and not the 200 rushing yards and 267 passing yards. It's, it's that's what it is. But just 450 yards of offense somehow against a team that's uber talented, who has been a national championship contender for the last couple of years, just like USC was. And this is Vince Young was clearly their best weapon for Texas, and Justin's clearly Ohio State's best weapon. I think he needs a game like that. He needs a Vince Young. You, you, does John Watson make sense as well? But also, he, I think the Vince Young against USC is a perfect comparison here. Yeah, I mean, it would be a good time for, like, you know, Justin Fields to will his team to victory kind of thing, yeah. right? I mean, like, that's, that's cheesy in some ways, but it's also sort of like just, like, do whatever it takes. Be as good as, it, as you have to be for your team to win. And we want to we wanna remember the fact 30 of 46 – 320 yards at 65% completions, one touchdown, two interceptions, four sacks against Clemson last year. And of course, I mean, the one interception is Isaiah Simmons being a crazy person. Awesome play. And the other interception probably should have been the game winning touchdown. And instead it was a second interception. So if Justin Fields throws the game winning touchdown in the final seconds against Clemson last year, then it'd be like, well, he needs a second Vince Young moment because he already would have had his first. So, and he's healthy. And it does just sound like, I think I believe Ryan day when Ryan day says like, he's fine. Although like, I believe him. And then it's like, you know, again, I don't know. It seemed early to be saying for sure that he was fine. If he was talking about how he couldn't move the thumb and it was killing him on Saturday, but we'll see. I mean, if he just, if he just mostly like jammed it, because again, everybody saw, we have the, we had the story after the game and we have the gif in there of the play. I mean, it's when he was running to the sideline, he got hit. The this chain gang person dropped the first down marker and he gets bumped and trips over the first down marker and lands with his thumb. He didn't get hit. It wasn't a player. It was his thumb hitting the ground awkwardly. So I do think it's possible. Like he more like just like jammed it more than anything else. And like, Oh, it got stiff or whatever, but like, it's actually fine. There's no ligament damage there. Whatever. I think that's very possible. So, um, I just, I just want to keep throwing in caveats about how I think Justin is good because I'm starting to feel bad about this, but it's just the threshold is so high. And the threshold is we all picked him to win the Heisman. And this is what we do to players. But I don't think he's happy with how he's played well, the last couple I, weeks either. He wouldn't dispute that. No, he wasn't happy with how he played in that Clemson game either because I didn't look at it as like some bad performance from him. But when I talked to him before the season in a one-on-one, um, that game came up and he he had a real like distaste in his voice. You could tell of how he played that night. Like it was some kind of a poor mark on his career about that game. And I, I didn't I didn't look at it that way. But it's also, I mean, <clears throat> some of this is he was at the time, it was August 3rd was, by the way, was the podcast that we did. So how about that for auspicious timing, <laughs> looking back on it? Like, is, is Justin Fields going to win the Heisman Trophy? Like, two days later, season canceled. Um, but on August 3rd, he was either, depending on who you looked at, the Heisman favorite or the co-favorite with Lawrence. I mean, their odds were essentially the same. So he comes into the season as the Heisman Trophy favorite and then is, like, freaking perfect for the first three weeks. So already, I think that's where the standards had really, really, really grown. So that's why the Indiana game, and then obviously, again, this Northwestern game, even on the tail end of that, because I felt like the discussion had started to come around like, hey, it's too bad that Justin Fields probably can't win the Heisman Trophy, but he can have a, a strong finish here. Maybe he still gets to New York. Maybe he still looks like a finalist in that Northwestern game, and then that didn't come anywhere close to happening. All right, let's do this. I have two more things that I think contributed to Justin Fields not having the year he wanted or the year we expected. We'll get to those two things right after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, 
Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, back on Buckeye Talk. We don't know what commercials get dropped in for you guys. It depends on, I think, where you are geographically, maybe the time of day that you listen. It's like, I don't know, it's like an algorithm or something. But there is a commercial out there that I cut that is asking you guys to do a survey for us that helps us. And so um, you hear the commercial. It's cleveland.com backslash Buckeye Talk survey. And you go there. And I just want to say, because um, I was telling them, we haven't been doing the commercial. Then it was like, well, we don't want to run that. Maybe we're on a different one. And I just said this. I said, these are our people. I said, this is us asking them a favor. And if we're honest with them and we ask a favor, that this will help the podcast. The podcast is free. This will help us if you do this. I think our people will be there for us. And if you don't have time, I get it. Surveys are a pain. But if you are doing it, we're just really appreciative because we're just trying to have a, the best chance possible to get some ads on this podcast, to make some money, to pay our salaries, to support local journalism, to support the Buckeye Talk podcast. So that's why that survey ad is dropping in there. And to everybody who's taken a moment and has a chance to do that, cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk survey. Um, just super, super appreciative of you guys uh, helping us out. Can we put that link in the description of the pod or the notes or whatever? Sure. Yeah, we'll do that too. So when you get this in your phone, we'll put that in there. So you can just click on it and go right to it. I mean, it has some, you know, has some questions and stuff about you. It's kind of a, it's not just like, you know, hey, who do you like better, Stephen, Nathan, or Doug? I mean, it's like information about you that, that then will help us be able to like target advertisers a little bit because we'll be able to say, well, this is like the demographics of the people who listen to this. So just wanted to say that because I told the boss, as I said, we can't trick them. We can't like try to sneak one past them, but these are our people and they're here for us. And if we ask it as a favor, I think, I think we'll get a good response. So thanks to everybody for doing that. COVID killed Justin's Heisman chances. He was perfect for three games. Then he went canceled game, bad game, canceled game, good game, canceled game, bad game. This is the argument, all the stuff of like, it's easier to play six than nine. What an edge it was for you. I think Justin Fields and Steven, you brought it up like this. I think that's the number one thing. Whatever it was, whether it was practice, whether it was guys being out, Corey Dennis was one of the coaches who got it. Like whatever it was, Justin Fields and this offense were in a flow and then COVID affected their opponent. Then it affected them. Then it affected another opponent and he lost his flow. And whatever you think of it's Ohio state season was easier in some way. This I think is part of the argument against that because it screwed up Justin Fields. Yeah. And I think we kind of saw it in the Michigan state game a little bit where it really screwed things up is him getting timing down with somebody other than Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. And so then you get a situation like the big 10 championship game where he's still trying to force passes to Garrett Wilson, who isn't open because his other guy is not on the field. And so him, you saw the first, the first play of the game where they tried to throw a ball to Julian Fleming and it was off target. You see them talking about it in some of that timing or the interception throw to Jamison Williams, where we've seen that exact play time and time again, coming out of halftime, going to Chris Olave, but now that it's not Chris Olave, Jamison Williams cuts up, cuts up field because that's where most of his routes this year is cutting back up field because he's a deep ball threat. And so I think they lost games where we know they were going to win, but those were games where you could see him get timing in with guys like Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, Julian Fleming. And you saw it in the Michigan State game, especially late once it was decided. They started running certain concepts for Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba to get them targets. And you lost two valuable games to do that in. 
and Trevor Lawrence had COVID too. Mm-hmm. And Trevor Lawrence bounced back pretty well. But like Kyle Trask didn't have it. Mac Jones didn't have to deal with it. You know, Devontae Smith didn't have to deal with it. Like, it's, I mean, we, we know. I mean, it's not, it's not only Justin Fields and Ohio State that had to deal with it. But if you're bringing it up as, as an edge, I don't think it was. The other thing that I actually do, and I made a joke about it the other day, but he has an inexperienced quarterbacks coach, a very young quarterbacks coach in Corey Dennis, who had never been a quarterbacks coach before. We all believe that, okay, Ryan Day, he's a resource. He's a great quarterbacks coach. He's a former quarterback himself. He's a play caller. He's going to help a lot in that room, right? I mean, like, it's not like Corey Dennis and Justin Fields are abandoned. You know, Ryan Day is going to be doing a lot of stuff. And then, right, wasn't Nathan, wasn't it earlier in the year they were sort of talking about, well, sometimes maybe Corey would meet with some guys and Ryan – Ryan and Justin were sort of talking on their own, right? That was sort of right. the storyline at some points. Yeah, and it, it was it was specifically a question I'd asked about, you know, protocols that they changed because of COVID if they worried about you know, infecting their whole position group. And he said he gave that as a reason why they pulled him aside, although then it turned out that maybe wasn't the soundest strategy because it's all based on you not getting COVID too. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying that, like, that's – they tried. It's just one of those things that didn't work out the way they'd hoped. Yeah, we don't know if Corey Dennis had COVID or not. We know Ryan Dennis had COVID. Corey Dennis missed a game, but we don't know if he was contact tracing or if he actually had it. But, like, both coaches wound up being affected. But I do think in the end, if it was like, oh, okay, well, like, Ryan Day is kind of like the backup quarterback's coach, or he's kind of like the actual quarterback's coach. And Ryan Day wound up trying to keep this football program from going off the rails. I just don't know how much time Ryan Day had for, like, quarterback talk in the midst of, like, testing talk and are we playing this week talk and i have covid talk i have covid talk and so like that you know don don brown got fired yeah reportedly well i feel bad for him think about that (laughs) really (laughs) really you feel bad for him (laughs) he's giving up i mean i don't care i I feel bad for people who get fired i don't like people losing jobs yeah but still he gave up almost 130 points I, I think about I think about lines in the sand a lot. I always talk about this in life. It's just like there's just there's a line everywhere, and everybody likes to act like well, there's oh, it's this or that. But you know, there's a place every time there's a storm. There's a place where it's raining here, and one step over, it's not raining. And every time I go to the ocean, I think to myself, when you look on a map and there's the line, and it's like okay, here's the ocean, and then the land starts. It's like that's where I am. I'm right on the part where it's land. And then it's ocean and there's a line everywhere and there's a line in life. And I talk about it a million times with the 2006 Michigan, Ohio state game, the big 10 was on top. And then the next time Ohio state played, they got their butts kicked by Florida and thus rose up the sec. It was like Don Brown was on top of the world coming into the 2018 Ohio state game. And it was like, Oh, Don Brown and Ryan day. Oh, they were coaches together at Boston college. Oh, what's going to happen. And Ryan Day took his lunch money. And now Ryan Day's the head coach at Ohio State, and Don Brown just got fired. And that's their line. Don Brown has the moments in his life that led up to being favored in the Ohio State game and then giving up 60-whatever. And Ryan Day has the the Ohio State offensive coordinator and the line to, we dropped 60-whatever on Michigan. And then he was the head coach, like, a couple months later. Like, not even a couple months, like a month later. Like, think about that. That's why I feel a little bit sad. A little bit sad for Don Brown. That's fair. He was so happy. He was so happy. 
Brian Day broke Don Brown. This would be, and it would be like this. I mean, it would be like, because they work together at Boston College, yeah. it would be like if like 15 years from now, we're working together and it's like, hey, Doug, Doug's doing his thing. And uh, Nathan or Steven, like they're doing their thing. And then like, you would do something to me. You would be like, oh, I know, we, I know how to get Doug going. And then like, I go on some crazy rant on a podcast. And then like a year later, I'm fired. And you guys are like shooting up in your careers. And it's like, oh yeah, well. I'm, I worked with Doug for a long time, so I knew exactly how to attack him. And then once I attacked him, I ruined his life. That's what I feel like. Ryan Day, this, can, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be on the call with Ryan tomorrow. Can someone ask Ryan Day if he feels bad about ruining Don Brown's life? That seems like a pretty reasonable um, prediction of the future, though, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> it's just a matter of I don't know which. about the us. I don't know about the our careers taking off part, but everything up to, until that. I think the only question is which person that I previously worked with will be the one who at some point in the future leads me to ruin my own career and own life. Mm-hmm. Who sets I me up? I don't have human resources, resources dialed into my phone yet. Like it's not in my contacts. I'm just aware that we have that. I know how to get the email up. Yes. <laughs> Let me think. Text I've got the subs- set. Tech subscriber survey. Who is more likely to be responsible for the end of Doug's career? Nathan, Steven, Ari, Bill, other. Ari definitely gets the least amount of votes there. Yeah, Ari gives me a hug every time he sees me, so probably not him. But uh, Landis is a dark horse there. Landis has that Philly thing. He'll shiv you. So um, what were we talking about? I can't remember what we were talking about. I'm so sad. Ryan Day ruining Tom Brown's Brown's I think we were talking about – we're talking about something involving the Heisman Trophy before we start talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, that thing. Michigan defensive coordinators. Oh, Corey Dennis. Talk yes. about Corey Dennis. Yeah. So just in a world where his head coach was super busy being a head coach in like the craziest year ever, and his quarterbacks coach is not very experienced, and so you know everybody thinks I'm a jerk for bringing up the fact that they hired like a a, a quarterbacks coach who's in his 20s who had never been a quarterback full time, had never been a full time assistant at any level before. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, it's crazy, but um, it's just one of the things in comparison. It's like, okay, Ryan Day is super busy. He's trying to get the program on track. Larry Johnson. I mean, Larry, you've got the D line. That's it. You've got it. You've got the D line. It's like, yeah, Larry Johnson has the D line. They're good. We're all good. All right, Kevin, man, I know you got a word, but Kevin, you've got the tight ends. Kevin Wilson's like, yeah, I, I, I got them. We're good. Tony, listen, man, Ryan's really busy. Tony, you got the running backs. Tony Alford's like, yeah, we're good. I got him. We'll, we'll come around. I'll get Trey ready. And then quarterback, Justin's supremely talented and just has a new coach. And so I'm not blaming Corey Dennis, but I think it's possible that if, you know, someone like the late Joe Daniels had been Justin Fields' quarterback coach, a guy who's been a quarterback's coach for two decades and has been through it all and is a steadying force, and they're just watching film, and they're talking about footwork, and they're doing all that, and they're talking about reads. And I, I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm not in the room, but I threw it out there before, and I'm just going to throw it out there again. Should it be thrown out there? So to that point, if, if part of the regression is that, which I, I don't necessarily completely disagree with, I think there's some, there's some merit there, then how worried should fans be about – either C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, or even Kyle McCora when they get there because that's going to be – this. that's from scratch. At least with Justin, there was a – if it's with Justin, it's a regression. With those three guys, it's going to be – you know, that's their starting point. 
I will say I this, mean, I, though. I mean, go ahead, Nathan. But, but I'm going to push back a little bit just in the fact that the week where both Ryan Day and Corey Dennis were gone, Justin Fields was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, it was another week where he was paired up against a bad team, but he went out there and took it to him on his own without the coach, without his head coach, without his quarterback coach, without all of his mentors around him, really. Yeah. So that's one thing. That's one data point I'll push back with, that maybe this isn't as big of a deal as it is. He's just been – he just hasn't shown up against the two best defenses he's played or hasn't shown up enough. So he's better with no coaches, which is proves no. my point. He'd be better off with no – the week they had no quarterbacks <laughs> coaches. If, if Keenan Bailey is the only person on that sideline, <laughs> Justin Fields oh. is the best quarterback in college football. I mean, to Steven's point, I would say, just like everything we keep saying in the pandemic, when something isn't quite as good, the pandemic brings it out, right? The mm-hmm. pandemic makes everything harder. So it's like, okay, well, are you worried about Corey Dennis next year? It's like, well, no, next year will be normal, and they'll be okay. But if it's like, okay, you've never been a full-time assistant coach before, and it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. How are you teaching Justin Fields only on Zoom? How are you breaking down defenses? You can't do it. I mean, they're in practice, too. It's not only on Zoom. But it's not normal. So what are your strategies – for figuring out how to keep this guy playing at a high level and help him as much as you can. Well, I've never done it before. I mean, I've, you know, anybody, the more you do a job, the better you get at it. You think, well, I could try this or I could try that. So I'm just throwing it out there. Well, I'm throwing it out there because I think it. What am I? I'm not going to act like I don't think it. I'm not, I'm not accusing anything. I mean, I thought it before the year. It's not the hire that I would have made for one of the three best programs in college football. I would not have hired a quarterback's coach who had never coached, had never been a full-time assistant at college at any level before. I would have let him go be a, an assistant coach at a lower level school and then hire him back in a couple of years. And I would have hired somebody with more experience. So now that the Heisman Trophy finalist from a year ago did not play as well the last couple I minutes, mean, are we going to play? Like, are we going to be it? Are we going to play the game or not? Like if you get credit, if a coach gets credit when a player is good, Okay, the player's not as good. Are we going to talk about the coach or not? Or are we only going to talk about the coach when he's good? I think we talk about them both. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm saying I think it might have had some impact. I think it's very fair to say that if Justin Fields had played at a relative level in those two bad games as he did in those first three games, that there would be articles right now about how great Corey Dennis did this year. Oh, he, oh, he would Sorry. 100% be on a fast track. To, okay, what Max school might hire Ohio State's quarterback coach in the next three years? And I'm not saying that would be not justified. I mean, because again, you get credit for when you're good and you get questions when you're not as good. And how do you judge it with a coach? You judge it on the performance of his player. All right, let's get off Justin a little bit because I like Justin. I think he does everything right. I mean, that's the thing about like Dwayne. I just, I'm, I'm, I love Dwayne Haskins when he was here. I love Dwayne's swagger. I love Dwayne's side eye. I love Dwayne's like aura about him. Dwayne's getting a little loose in the NFL to his own detriment. And so, you know, like, I really like Justin. I really like Justin. I just think he is on it. I think he is, has a seriousness of purpose. It's the same thing I said with, with Chase. I just think Chase Young had a seriousness of purpose about him, of like, this guy is supremely talented, but he is also, like, not going to let, like, and I know he had the NCAA suspension, but that's mostly – kind of dingling NCAA stuff. He's not going to do like serious things to get himself on track because he has a seriousness of purpose about what he wants to do and who he wants to be. And I think Justin is, is a lot like that in a, in a lot of ways. So I would draft Justin. I said, I would have drafted, drafted Dwayne, but I certainly would draft Justin ahead of Dwayne. 
and I would draft Justin ahead of the other quarterbacks out there, but he does have something to prove here in a little bit. Let's revisit, before we get to who we would actually vote for and who our texters would vote for, let's revisit, Nathan, what we thought way back when, in August. You've researched it. What were our Heisman predictions back then? So um, b- both us and the texters were overwhelming in favor of Justin Fields being the Heisman Trophy winner in 2020. Not a surprise, obviously, coming from a, a, an Ohio State podcast where we were asking Ohio State fans to vote for whether Ohio State's starting quarterback would win the Heisman Trophy, I suppose. But he, was, he had 69 of the 78 first-place votes and was on 76 of 78 ballots. We were only asking people to vote for top three, just as you do for the Heisman. Um, you want to know who we each voted for. Um, we each actually gave our top four because we were going to give our top three, and then we were like, I was listening to today, and we were like, oh, how about, how about who was fourth? So um, uh, you and I, Doug, both picked uh, Harris, Najah Harris from Alabama as our fourth guy and Steven picked Spencer Rattler and um, my top three were Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Sam Ellinger, the Texas quarterback who nobody's talking about this week. Uh, Doug, your top three were uh, pretty good. Uh, Justin Fields and then Trevor Lawrence and uh, Kyle Trask from Florida. And Steven, your top three were Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Jamie Newman who did not play in 2020. But again, these were, these were <laughs> submitted on August 3rd before the first time everything just fell apart for the Big Ten, at least, anyway. So that helps explain. I mean, there were guys who hadn't even opted out in other conferences, let alone the fact that the Big Ten season hadn't fallen apart. And did we get anything more from the texters than they're just top one from Justin? We yes. didn't have their – Oh, what they yeah, said. We, had, we, we asked them all for a top three, and I tabulated all of them. Uh, Fields was, was a runaway winner. Lawrence was second. So Fields had 221 points. If you think three for first, two for second, one for third. Fields, 221. Lawrence, 112. So it was almost double to Fields, to Lawrence. And then a huge drop-off down to Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, third. Spencer Rattler, fourth. Travis Etienne from Clemson, fifth. And Sam Ellinger, sixth. And then nobody else got more than 10 points. There were another eight or 10 players that got at least two points. Can I be completely honest here? Mm-hmm. I remember talking about Trask's. That's why I wanted to do this because I wanted the credit because he was good. Of course you did. I mean, I, if I if I would have been out there saying, uh, I mean, if I had been like a big like uh, I don't know, a big Rocky Lombardi guy for the Heisman, I wouldn't have asked you to research. You don't this. have to. You don't have to demean the Heisman that much. I mean, just even if you've been a Sam Ellinger fan, Rocky Lombardi. Wow, Rocky Lombardi is transferring. The by the way, so yeah. Bad. That was so his, bad. His tenure as a Spartan is over. But, like, just such – what a waste of an incredible name. Can you imagine if Rocky Lombardi yeah. were quarterbacking up to the standard of his name? That guy's supposed to win a Heisman with a name like that. And then go win yeah. a Super Bowl. Yeah. And then go win a Super Bowl so Lombardi can hold up the Lombardi trophy. Um, Jack Cohn, also in the transfer portal. Long tradition of Wisconsin noodle arms transferring at the end of their careers. Although I, I, I'll tell you what, man, like I, like I said, and I wrote this in the thing about our, our, uh, our Cleveland.com preseason poll. The reason that I picked Northwestern to win the West is because I thought Wisconsin would not move away from Jack Cohn. They would be slow on the trigger with Graham Mertz. And I was down on Wisconsin because I thought they'd play Jack Cohn. And then Jack Cohn got hurt, and they played Graham Mertz, and Graham Hertz, Mertz was not very good. So I was correct in not picking Wisconsin, but I was correct for the exact opposite reason of what I thought. So Jack Cohn is transferring 
knowing like, okay, hey guys, you thought Graham Mertz was so great. Good luck with the newbie who like did not play that well. Well, Graham Mertz had a season kind of like Justin Fields in some ways, like the the poor man's Justin Fields. He was like 19 to 20 in that first game against Illinois and then didn't, didn't get it done in some of the bigger games. Graham Mertz, actually, I had forgotten about this and I, unless there's another Mertz that I'm forgetting, got two third place votes from our texters before the season. Ethel Mertz. I believe. Is that another Mertz? That is another Mertz. Um, they might've been thinking of Hertz, the car company, but no Mertz got two points. They got two third place votes. I totally Jalen Hertz. Jalen Hertz, who finished second in the Heisman last year. Welcome back to Buckeye talk. Name that Mertz on Buckeye talk. Um, okay. So let's talk about who we would vote for. And one thing I always like to discuss in the Heisman is how you vote and how people think about it. And so I put that out to the texters. I said, what would you consider most when voting for the Heisman? And this is a theoretical question. It's not a name. It's like how you think about it. These were the choices. Most valuable player, that that's how you see it. However you describe that, but I think of it as the most valuable player. I think of it as the best player, but I lean toward quarterbacks. Because really we've talked about it's kind of become a quarterback award. Quarterbacks, obviously the most important position. So best player, but lean toward quarterbacks. Best player, but lean toward playoff teams. Like, listen, man, I, I get it. You're a really good player and maybe I'm, I'm open on position. But if your team's not really mattering that much, I'm just not probably going to go there. Zach Wilson or whatever, right? That I'm just, the best teams get more consideration. Um, absolute best player, regardless of position or team. Just excellence. I don't care. If I thought the best player in college football was a guard at Coastal Carolina, that's who I'd vote for. Absolute best player. Or the Doug way of voting, as I have talked about many times, the player who helps tell the story of that college football season based on talent, team record, position, highlights, perception, et cetera. Then I think of the Heisman. I don't care what it says about what you're supposed to vote for. The Heisman is the Heisman. And I know what that means. It's not best player. It's not most valuable player. It's the Heisman. It's you're going to live in a house. It's you're going to be viewed as a certain way. Listen, I mean, people don't, you know, if you're the American League MVP, that's not as, it doesn't sound as cool as winning the Heisman. The NFL Barely, you know, I'm not even sure what the actual MVP award, which is the most important one. They should have an NFL Heisman. The Heisman is the Heisman. That's how I think of it. And it takes a lot into consideration, but story is part of it. So absolute best player, most valuable, helping to tell the story, best player lean to quarterbacks, best player lean to playoff teams. Nathan, what do you think won the text voting? Best player lean to quarterbacks. Steven, what do you think won the text voting? Player who helps tell the story. And what would you vote for, Steven? A combination of that and most valuable player. Um, somewhere in the middle of those two, because I think they're both extremely important, um, especially when, especially this year. Nathan, how would you vote? I, I like your definition, so I, pr- I probably – I probably lean towards your definition, but I'm very, very specific of it being that season. If you understand okay. what I'm saying. Yep. Absolute best player was the clear winner. 40%. It was divided, but it still clearly won. Absolute best player, 40%. Helps tell the story, 22%. Best player lean toward playoff teams, 18%. Most valuable player, 11%. 
best player lean toward quarterbacks, 10%. So we can now get into our discussion of who we would vote for. And just to be clear, I, I actually have a vote. You guys don't have a vote. We'll work on that. Each state, so people know, there's like 900 or so electors. Every former Heisman winner gets to vote. And then it's, the, uh, it's media from each state. There is um, a person who's in charge of each state. And they sort of help decide which of the media people in that state get to vote. There's 20 or so, I think, in Ohio. I have voted in the past. You, you voted in Indiana. You were the Indiana. In Indiana. Yep. I'll be honest. It took me a couple of years when I got on the beat to get a ballot. It didn't happen right away. There are some people who are, shouldn't have ballots. I mean, there's people who have ballots who are less qualified to vote than you two, who are full-time college football writers um, that do vote. And it just takes some time because, you know, people retire, people change jobs, people change outlets, whatever. So um, we've worked on it over the years to make sure the right people vote if we think we have people who should vote and i'll help work on getting ballots in your hands uh sooner than later but um the idea nathan of keeping it only to this year explain how how staunch you are about that i mean are, are, do you I, would you really wipe out of your mind that somebody had been a very good player last year if you have two players one of whom was a Heisman finalist last year and one of whom wasn't even a starter last year. That would affect your perception or your vote. And they have very similar stats and very similar seasons this year. You would not factor that in at all? I w- it would be something that you factor in at the end, I think. It's more like a tiebreaker scenario than it is something that is the foundation of how I'm voting that year. Okay. All right. Would you factor the past in at all, Stephen? No, because I think it does more harm to the guy who's already been there than it helps the other, the, guy, the new guy. For, for example, with, let's just take Kyle Trask and Justin Fields. You're comparing Justin to his past, while with Kyle, you're, you're giving him a, a clean slate. So I, try, I would try to not do that and try to take only what they've done in this six-month period. Okay, because I would view it the opposite of like, I, don't, I would be more inclined to vote for a guy who I don't feel like is a one-hit wonder. You know, it's not a flash in the pan of like, I get it. Maybe you just got into a high flying offense with a bunch of talent around you. You would up, you put up crazy stats, but you were the backup last year. And this dude's been, been doing the job for like three years. Like I would view it as a positive for that other guy, but I know what you're saying, Steven, if sometimes you're your own worst enemy mm-hmm. of like, all right, well, you're great, but ah, you were not as great as last year. And I think Trask and Fields is a really good example of like, that's a real life situation that we're talking about theoretically. So, Quick break. We'll be back with our votes for the Heisman Trophy on Buckeye Talk. All right. To be clear, if you are a Heisman voter and you reveal uh, your vote before the Heisman ceremony, the Heisman Trophy Trust sends somebody in a blue blazer. They probably fly on a private plane. And they come to your house and they shoot a poison dart in your neck. So I'm not talking about who I voted for. I'm talking about, I mean, if we were just talking about like I don't, who you theoretically would have voted for, I mean, this is how I would have thought about it. This is how I would have considered it. The fact that I do or don't have a ballot, I'm not going to sit and withdraw from the conversation and you guys could talk about it because you don't technically have a ballot, but I'm out because I do have a ballot. I'm not saying this is how I voted. I'm saying this is how I would think about voting, but I don't know. I mean, you don't know. You weren't there. You weren't there. 
unless you hacked into my computer, unless Russia hacked me, like it hacked the rest of the rest of the government. That what about that? What if that we find that out? Russia hacked. That's how Johnny Manziel won that year. Russia hack. That'd be a story. That'd be a story to break wide open. All right. I think he does. Sad if that's a, I think that's really sad if they hacked us and that was the thing they went after. Like how much more vodka can he buy if he wins the Heisman Trophy? They would like Johnny Football to win trophy of Steve Farm. Make sure you hack and not vote for Monty Teo. Nathan, who's your third place guy? You vote for my, linebacker. My Notre third place. He, he not even beat Alabama. Vote for Johnny. Go ahead. I'm voting an accent no higher than seventh. Um, my third place guy is Kyle Trask from Florida. Uh, the guy that you had third prior to the season. I mean, obviously the, the numbers speak for themselves. Team success a, a notch below some of the other guys, but um, had a fantastic year. Uh, difficult or easy? The whole thing I thought was difficult. I thought there were like six guys, and I don't think they were separated by a whole lot, but this is how I ended up lining them up. And if I had to pick next week or last week, it might be a different three. All right, Steven, who'd you vote third? I also put Kyle Trask, um, but he was on a short – I think it was – closely followed up by Mac Jones, mainly because Kyle Travis's numbers are really good, but I just don't feel like there's a moment where he kind of sealed the deal for a Heisman. Every time he had a chance to have one, even in some of his bigger games, whether it be Texas A&M or the SEC championship game, and then losing to LSU didn't help. But great Heisman numbers, but no moment that made you feel like, that's my Heisman. So it's very hard because I don't like it I don't like penalizing guys because they're surrounded by talent because I do think that happens to Ohio state. Sometimes I think it happens to Alabama. Sometimes of like, Oh, well, you know, like we talked about with the big 10 receivers, it's like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson didn't make first team all big 10. It's like, well, David Bellis would do it by itself. And Ohio state has two guys. It's like, okay, well, who's the better player? So I'm wary and I'm wary of stat overload. I'm wary. And this happened for a while, like before people sort of figured out football back in the day, like, when Houston quarterbacks and BYU quarterbacks are winning the Heisman because people are just like, 4,000 yards passing? He must be excellent. It's like, he's really not. He's actually kind of just okay, and he's in a crazy offense that you don't understand yet. And they throw so it 60 I'm, times a game. I'm wary of stat overload. And I, in leaning toward story and in leaning toward winning, I did not vote for Trask. And part of it is because, theoretically, uh, maybe I did. Theoretically, I didn't vote for Kyle Trask because he and Mac Jones each played 11 games. Kyle Trask attempted 82 more passes than Mac Jones. Um, Mac Jones has a higher quarterback rating than Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask threw 43 touchdowns. Mac Jones threw 32. Um, Kyle Trask completed 69.7% of his passes. Mac Jones completed 76.5. Mac Jones threw through for 340 yards per game. Kyle Trask threw for 375. But as it turns out, you know, Florida going eight and three and like being close but no cigar against Alabama in the SEC championship game is not really the story. It's not a big part of this season to me. So in a close call, I'm going to lean toward the guy who is more impactful for what matters. And I voted Mac Jones third. So that t- it came down kind of to me to Trask and Jones. And I just leaned, I didn't want to be beholden to the stats. And it's not like every Alabama quarterback in the world 
does what Mac Jones does. I mean, that guy is surrounded by talent, but he also did everything right this year. So I, I felt like I wanted to vote for him somewhere on my ballot, and I put Mac Jones third. Can I just throw this out real quick? Hypothetically. I mean, if, if one were to divulge things that would lead yeah. to one being murdered with a poison dart, one would might have voted for Mac Jones. Um, it's a coin flip with those two, and then that coin flip might be the reason we see four people go again. Well, I think they're going to be. I think well, they'll be go. maybe five. I, I would. Well, we'll talk about that at the end. We'll predict who the yeah. actual finalists are when it's released by Santa Claus. Ho ho ho! I one of the chances of like that ESPN on the announcement is like ho ho ho. Santa says Zach Wilson is a Heisman finalist. Eighty-five percent chance that they use Santa to do it. Ho, ho, ho. Did you guys consider Zach Wilson from BYU at all? It's like BYU was in the conversation nationally a little bit. He's the guy. He's an NFL draft guy. Steven, you're shaking your head no? No. No. I think if you're going to be a non-playoff guy and come from a school like a BYU and even make be a finalist, let alone win the award, you got to be louder than that. Uh, he was good, but he wasn't loud enough. And there was, once again, no staple moment. Lamar Jackson had a staple moment. Uh in, the, in that scenario, Johnny Manziel wouldn't have made the playoff, but that Alabama game is what pretty much wrapped it up for him. You got to be – when you're not a playoff team, you need to be loud. And then you need to be loud enough to where we're stupid if we don't give you this award. Zach Wilson, 297 passing yards per game against uh, Mac Jones, 340, Kyle Trask, 375. So not as many passing yards per game for Zach Wilson. 30 touchdowns, three picks. Mac Jones was 32 touchdowns, four picks. Kyle Trask was 43 touchdowns, five picks. Uh, Zach Wilson, 73% completion percentage. Mac Jones, 76. Kyle Trask, 70. So uh, that was Zach Wilson's case. Nathan, who'd you vote second? Mac Jones was my number two vote. Um, And I I think he just had a fantastic season. And I, I think it sometimes, again, it does sometimes get a little bit overshadowed when you're playing with so much talent at Alabama. Um, but you know, a 32 to four touchdown ratio, uh, 11.4 yards per attempt is pretty great. Uh, led the nation in quarterback rating. Um, huge, I mean, the yardage, I mean, everything was there. And I, I, in a lot of ways he had the full season that I think we might've predicted for Justin Fields, if he had been able to play an 11 game season. That's, I mean, if I told you before the season that Justin Fields was going to go 37, 39 with 32 touchdowns and four interceptions, I, I think, that's about what we probably would have guessed for a 11 game season. Sounds about right. And mine had the season that like two of mine had if two had stayed healthy all last year. And, and maybe a little bit less yards on and more rushing. I don't know what Mac Jones is rushing where. So maybe Justin's passing yards come down a little bit, but the rushing goes up. I just think it's, um, it, it was a tremendous season. So Baird is Jones two, Trask three, Steven, who you have second? Alabama has three guys that you can make a case for and their best. And the case you can make the best for is their second best wide receiver. And that's Devonta Smith. The, the moment Jalen Waddle went down, he started going off. He's got two 200-yard receiving games already. He's had one game with less than 50 since – one game was less than 100 since Jalen Waddle got hurt. And as great as Mac Jones has been, a lot of that is filtered through Devonta Smith. And if you take that – there's talent everywhere on that team, but it's talent everywhere on Ohio State's team. But we know who their best receivers are. It's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. There's talent everywhere on Alabama's offense, but we know who, that, who the best weapon is, and it's Devonta Smith. And just like last year, you couldn't leave off the non-quarterback and Chase Young. You can't leave out the non-quarterback and Devonta Smith. He's made it too clear that he deserves to be in this. Even if he doesn't win it, he deserves to be a, be a finalist and be on the Zoom call to New York. So his 
Ben's numbers are pretty amazing. Uh, he's second in the nation in yards per game. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss is first. But I was trying to compare Smith sort of to other great receivers of the recent past. So 137 receiving yards per game for Smith. Um, Jamar Chase, for instance, last year, 127 receiving yards per game. Uh, let's see, for instance, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss in 2018. Really good player, really good in the NFL now. 110 yards per game. Uh, let's go back 2017. Um, Oklahoma State, James Washington, now with the Steelers, 119 per game. So like 137 receiving yards per game is quite a lot for a power five guy. Corey Coleman, uh, 113 out of Baylor when he was the first receiver taken in 2000, uh, the 2015 draft. I mean, like that's the Baylor offense and he wasn't putting up that kind of yards per game. Again, we're talking about Amari Cooper. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When he was third in the Heisman voting, he was 123 yards per game. Smith's 137. And so that's what we're talking about. Like this guy's numbers are tremendous. But Stephen, I do think you make a good point. Like he was helped by Jalen Waddle getting hurt. And if he wouldn't have got, if Waddle wouldn't have gotten hurt, I don't know that it would have crystallized like this for one of the two of them. They would have taken stats from each other. There would have mm-hmm. been a debate about well, who's actually better. And I don't think a Bama ride receiver would have ended up as a Heisman finalist if Waddle's on the field. Yeah, it, that helped. But I think what he's – I think that's part of his story, though, is look what he was able to do the moment that their best receiver went down. He turned himself into a potential Heisman candidate. And the fact that the last time Alabama had a Heisman Trophy finalist at wide receiver, if you compare their stats, he, Devonta Smith's about to blow Amari Cooper out of the water with a lot less catches. I also voted Smith second, theoretically. Steven, who was your theoretical Heisman Trophy winner? No, yours is not theoretical. Yours is for real. Yeah, this I is can, Steven means Heisman. Except, it, yeah. except it's not real. Your fake real vote. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Drum roll. Thank it you. is who you actually didn't vote for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll write about it, but it won't count. <laughs> there we go. Um, Trevor Lawrence has to be the Heisman Trophy winner. I think if along the lines of telling the story of this college football season and the value he brings to the table, I thought if Trevor Lawrence played in that first Notre Dame game, Notre Dame doesn't win that game, even if they were putting up the amount of points they did with their backup quarterback. And as we saw on Saturday – Trevor Lawrence played in that game and wasn't even close. And some of that has also had those defensive starters back. But that's the best player in college football. He's been the best player in college football for a little while now. And you brought up before that it's a shame that Deshaun Watson has never won a Heisman Trophy as a college football quarterback. I think it'll be a shame if this kid who won a national championship as a true freshman is in a position to go to a national championship game three years in a row, and he's only lost one game, and he's been as special as he's been all year, and the only he's missed two games because of COVID, left here as the number one pick in the NFL draft and doesn't have a Heisman Trophy to his name. Steven Means, votes for Trevor Lawrence. Nathan Baird, what you got? So kind of following up on your concept of who, what, who best exemplifies the story of college football in 2020, and to me the story of college football in 2020 as we stand here right now is Alabama's return to the dominant place they have in this sport. They were clearly – the best team they are clearly the best team as they're going off into the playoffs somebody else has to prove they're on Alabama's level and I thought the best personification of that in a few ways this season was Devonta Smith so he would be my number one vote 
Um, and I think the other thing to remember about that production we were talking about is if you're talking about a running back, this isn't so much true of quarterbacks. When you start talking about other positions, you start talking about a running back. That's someone who can still go get those Heisman numbers after the game is under control in a lot of ways. And I don't think that happens as much for receivers. I feel like um, that's an important thing to remember when you're looking at just how dominant those numbers were, that there were a lot of games this year where Alabama was, was housing people. And this guy wasn't involved as much later in the games. Um, Cause that's not what you do with receivers later in these games. So I didn't go look that up. That's just kind of a, a, a I'm making that assumption broadly for receivers, but it was one of the other things that impressed me the most was that he isn't, I know they've had some games that were shootouts, but there are a lot of other games that weren't. He, his case to me is a kind of, is kind of a lot like Chase Young's case last year Mm -hmm. in that he's from a great program. He's clearly the best guy at his position in the country. No doubt about it. He's pretty clearly the best player on his team. No doubt about it, but he's not the quarterback and your quarterback is also really, really good. And so it's a little easier to win the Heisman as a receiver, but it's not all that much easier than it is to win it as a defensive player. So he has an uphill battle for this, but I think he is as good of a receiver candidate as there has been in a long time. And I want, I want us at the end here, we'll discuss who we think will actually win it. But as we've said, this is such a stinking quarterback award now that we have had a defensive player in Charles Woodson win more recently than we've had a receiver win because a receiver hasn't won since Desmond Howard. So like, that's how hard it is. That's how hard it is to win at receiver right now. It's as hard as it is to win on defense. So that's what we're talking about. But I like the Smith pick. I like the Lawrence pick. Theoretically, I would be torn. Theoretically. But I theoretically would pick Trevor Lawrence. And this is not theoretical. Definitely, I put out on text the other day before I voted. I said, I'm thinking about this. And somebody literally texted and said, if you vote for Trevor Lawrence, I'm canceling text. I am not kidding. (laughs) And so I would just like to say, I'm not, you can't let Dabo stuff rub off on Trevor Lawrence. That's not fair. But also, like, I'm sorry if that happens theoretically. We'll find out. I'll tell you who I actually voted for once they announce it on January 5th or whatever they do. Um, but I think I am leaning long term in a, in a, I think Devonta Smith, it theoretically, if my, what we're talking about here is how I actually voted, my top two were Smith and Lawrence, and then I leaned career. So I'm going to lean overall. I'm going to lean, you know what? He was really good last year in like the second half of the year, but he clearly wasn't going to win. And Joe Burrow was like like practically unanimous. There's nobody this year who is dominant as Joe Burrow was last year. You're not even exactly sure. Alabama's as dominant as a team as LSU was, but you're not exactly sure who the best player in Alabama is. Because I know somebody who voted for the three Alabama players. His, his ballot was all three Bama people. And that won't be the only person who does that because Najee Harris from Alabama is probably the best running back in the country. And when I put it out to the texters, Nathan, you said you were considering six people. When I put it out to the texters, I put out six. I put out Trask, Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and the three Bama guys. That feels like the six to me. I did not put out Justin Fields as an option because I just don't feel like it's a realistic option. So, um, but I, it was not a hard decision for me to vote Trevor Lawrence. In a muddled year, he's been very good. 
he's been, I think, better than last year. The guy from Clemson we're going to have on, Matt Connolly, on the Wednesday pod, that's what he says. He's more accurate. He's done it without great receivers this year. He doesn't have a Devontae Smith. I mean, he's doing it without Justin Ross and without T. Higgins. So um, I felt good about voting for Trevor Lawrence, and that's how our votes went. Let's do the texters. Who do you guys think won according to the texters? I asked them to vote first, second, and third. And I'll add it up real quickly. But let's see. It's pretty clear that that. So who, what do you think our order of, uh, of text is? Well, now that you've given us that little nugget about the text, you're talking about Trevor Lawrence. It's kind of changed who I think might be number one. Um, I think Devonta Smith is number one. I think okay. Mac Jones might be number two. And I think Trevor might be three. All right, Smith, Jones, Lawrence. What do you have, Nathan, for the Texters? I'm going to say Smith, Lawrence, Jones. That is correct. Smith, Lawrence, Jones is how the Texters went. And Kyle Trask got some love in there, but um, pretty definitive. I, the way I had to do it, I couldn't give him a ballot because our voting thing doesn't work that way. So I had to say, who do you vote one? Who do you vote two? Who do you vote three? The question of who would you vote number one? Devonta Smith, 46%. That's pretty strong in a crowded field. Trevor Lawrence, 28%. Mac Jones, 9 Najee Harris, 7 Kyle Trask, 6%. Zach Wilson, 3%. Other got 1%. And then when we got down to like second and stuff, had, I had him vote for second. Second was practically a four-way tie between Lawrence, Jones, Smith, and Trask. But that top three was uh was pretty clear of smith one lawrence two and then in the end mac jones ended up getting uh the most support at the bottom for two and three so i'm not i'm a little are you a little surprised that there was such that's a pretty strong vote for smith uh, as a receiver are you surprised at all steven that our textures went that way no i i do think there is a from from just fans in general this this tie, this maybe exhaustion with seeing quarterbacks just win this award when there are some other players and, and over the especially this past decade that we've seen who do, who are just as deserving of it and aren't quarterbacks and so that, I think that plays a role into it whether it's Chase or Manti Teo and now this year Devonta Smith I think people are just growing tired of seeing every year now this turning into a quarterback award and want to see it go to some other guys so I think that plays a role. I mean I think it follows what you said earlier when you revealed that their number one criteria was just best player like the best the mvp the best player whatever um period and i think he probably fits that description pretty well so the thing that i think is also happening here is what i, I thought had to happen for chase to have a chance last year and this was when we were having this chase young heisman discussion in the middle of the season before joe burrow made it a no doubter right but this is what has happened this year it's a quarterback award. And as much, Steven, you're right, maybe people are sick of it, but I don't know. I mean, the quarterbacks still win 95% of the time. So they're not that sick of it because they keep giving it to them. You have to have a situation where the quarterback's not clear. And the quarterbacks split the vote, mm -hmm. and then one non-quarterback emerges as the clear other. And I thought Chase last year, if Burrow had not run away with it, and people were like, I don't know. Is it Justin Fields? Is it Jalen Hurts? Is it Joe Burrow? I can't decide. And then over here is Chase Young saying, I'm the best player. I'm the best player. That's how a non-quarterback wins. And I think that happened this year. Because I think between Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, 
Trask has the best stats. Jones has the best team. And Lawrence has the best career. And I think it's going to get split. So let's make a final prediction on who we think is actually going to win and who we actually think the finalists are going to be. I'll go first. I think Smith is going to win because of what I just said. I think the quarterbacks are going to split it. I don't think Najee Harris is going to get enough to get to be a finalist. And I don't think Zach Wilson's going to quite get enough. I think the finalists are going to be Devonta Smith, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, three quarterbacks and the receiver and the receiver's going to win. I think it's the perfect storm for a receiver to win. And I think it's going to be close, but I think there aren't enough people thinking of a Trevor Lawrence lifetime achievement award, which is kind of how Steven and I thought of it. Mm -hmm. I think some will think of it. And then if you're like not doing that with Trevor, because his stats aren't quite as good. So if you're not thinking that with Trevor, where do you go? Are you really going to give it to Mac Jones over Smith? I mean, it's like Smith is crazy, awesome, talented. Jones is good. Are you going to give it to Trask, a three-loss guy? It's like, where do you go? I think you're lost. If you don't buy Trevor Lawrence lifetime achievement, I think you have to wind your way to Smith. I just don't think there's anywhere else you can go. Steven, how do you think – who will the finalists be and who will win? Trevor, Devonta Smith, and Mac Jones will be the finalists. Um, oh, and Kyle Trask. I think there's going to be four. I think all four of those guys get there. And I, I think you're right. I think Smith's going to win, and I think the way he played in the SEC championship game is what did it for him. Because as Notre, Trevor was pretty good in that Notre Dame game, but – Devonta Smith had 15 catches for 184 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble recovery, and eliminated a team from the college football playoff discussion completely. I think that I think that was his it was a stamp. It wasn't a single catch that did it, but just that stat total combined with what he's been doing since Waddle's been out. I think that won him the game. Nathan, what do you think? Who are your finalists? Yeah, Who's going to win? Those will, those will be my four finalists. I, I think that, that seems like kind of clear cut at this point. I don't think they'll get the fifth, either one of those other quarterbacks or Najee Harris or whatever. I don't think they're going to get all the way down to five. Um, I, I, and I think you're right. I think your, your, your logic is correct. I think, I think uh, Smith wins. And then after that, I think, I think it might end up being pretty tight vote from two to four, frankly. I think all three of those guys, I mean, it could be a really tight vote. Yeah, and, and I think we might look back and be like, man, Devontae Smith's good, but Trevor Lawrence finished third that year? Really? Yeah. That's 100%. But here's what I'm saying. Like, this is why it's a back-end thing to me as far as like the career. because So Trevor Lawrence was not, should not have won the Heisman Trophy last year, without question. Right. Yeah. I don't think he should have won it. Are people arguing he should have won it in 2018? I, I no. Because here's, because I here's what I mean. Like I feel like I feel like too often we only look at who won the Heisman Trophy. Like the fact that I mean Trevor Lawrence wasn't even a finalist last year, but didn't say he had been. Let's say you're a Heisman finalist every year of your career or for three consecutive years. Even if you don't win, that still is an accomplishment. Like that still gets recognized as an accomplishment. You recognized among the three or four best players in college football three consecutive years. Like that's a, that's a pretty big deal. I don't feel like I then need to also give you a lifetime achievement award on top of that if you didn't actually go and earn it in any one of those years. I think also Trevor Lawrence had to deal with Heisman Trophy runoff, Heisman Trophy finalist runoff without ever being a Heisman Trophy finalist. The way he was, he didn't play well at the beginning of last season, yes, but also, I mean, Justin Fields hasn't played well. You're comparing him to the standard he'd already set, and Trevor had. 
they put that on him before he even got to New York in the first place. That's part of the reason why he wasn't a finalist because he was out of the race by week four. And so this year it's, it's, it's when he's been better than he was at the end of last season and better than he was when they won a national championship game, uh, national championship. It's, it's, he's been climbing an uphill battle from basically the moment he beat Alabama in a championship game. The reason, the reason Justin Fields isn't a Heisman trophy finalist this year is entirely because of 2020 doesn't have anything to do with 2019. Correct. No, I agree. Um, the other thing is we, they, we vote before the playoff. We vote right. before the Bulls. So then you never – like the only way that you can factor in like winning big games or playing well on a, on a big stage is if you look at last year because we don't look at this year. Mm-hmm. So it's like then all of a sudden we're just – we're not considering whether you're a championship player at all. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to look at the past. It's like, oh, you mean in the past when he won the national championship as a freshman and then played his butt off in the semifinal and dragged his team in a comeback against an amazing defense and killed a team with his legs and got them to the national championship game and then also put up great accuracy numbers, didn't pad his stats against anybody, but was an amazing player this year? Okay, I mean, I guess we can't think about any of that because Kyle Trask threw for a 1,000 more yards this year. So, like, I – I get what you're saying. It's not a lifetime achievement award, but at some point, man, if you're not going to let me include the postseason in my vote, what am I like? Can't I can't I can't let that factor in? I, I you absolutely can. I would just put it under one of the many, 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 many ways. This is a flawed award. No, I know. Well, but I'm trying to change the system from the inside. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I might actually email them and say, "Pull your head out of your butts and fix this." Um, I mean, it is a flawed award, and it's one of those things, and that's the thing that disappoints me. It's like, well, I get it in the NBA. We had the same argument in the NBA, right? But the at NBA, least all, all a, the major sports, all the major but sports. At least, but at least with those, it's a regular season award, and you're not counting the, the stats from a postseason along with those regular season stats. With, with college football, this is a continuation. It's, if you win a national championship, it's 15 games worth of stats. It's not, oh, it's 12 games of a regular season, and then here are your stats for a conference championship, and then here are your stats for the playoff, like it is in these pro sports. That's part of the problem. You're considering it all to be one thing, but the awards are not. I thought they definitely should have changed it at least just for this year just because the schedule is going to be so different. Because in, baseball, the other. in baseball, you get 162 games to decide who the best player was. And this year in college football, you had somewhere between like – four or five and 12 to decide who it, the best player in football was like, I don't know what waiting another month would have hurt him. Just make it one or the other. The, the, the Joe Burrow throws 60 touchdown passes in the regular season. and already throw 45. And then he also threw a lot in the playoff and the SEC championship game. I, I want to say, I want to say real it, quick, are, I'll say real quick, Mac Jones had better yards per attempt and a higher quarterback efficiency rating than Joe Burrow. The, the, yeah, but that's going to continue to be the case every year because offense is going to continue to explode. I just think it's either – What? He break that was record? like the greatest offense of all time. It, it, it was, I know. And then 10 years from now, somebody will completely outplay that greatest we're, we're offense not, of all time because that's what those – aren't, those, aren't, those aren't counting stats. Those are efficiency stats. Those are performance Oh, the efficiency? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, I'm not talking about just pure yards and touchdowns. I just think the point is if it's going to be a regular season award, then cut it off all your stats after you play your, your 12th game of the season, or in this case, six or 11 or 10. Yeah. And they don't, they don't in college. They, they really should move it to the end because it is all, it is all one continuous thing. I mean, and you make, I, I think it's a great argument, Steven and Nathan. And it's like, okay, well, Joe Burrow also had Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson last year. He was surrounded by yeah. and Clyde Edwards, Alaire. 
his three skill position guys last year were first round pick, first round pick, and Jamar Chase is going to be like in the top five. Just so it's like, like okay, Jones. we didn't. Matt Jones is going to have offensive line. So Mac and Mac Jones is also going to have the bullet Lacoff winner, another first round pick, and a potential first round pick at running back. But people are going to hold that more against Mac Jones. Mac Jones is not going to. Yeah. Win. Yeah. So the whole point is yes, We've Mac Jones and it. Joe Burrow both surrounded by immense talent. Joe Burrow is practically unanimous quarterbacking the undefeated number one team while putting up huge stats. Joe Burrow, practically unanimous. Mac Jones is going to finish third or fourth. Mac Jones doesn't get a win. Yep. Now, the other thing is, I do respect this, and we'll end this quickly. We've got a little long. It's okay. I listen to the school. I allow the school to tell me who's your number one Heisman candidate. And I felt like, not that Alabama necessarily did it, but I felt like enough emerged over the past couple weeks that Alabama kind of arrived at Smith as their guy. Now, to be fair, I don't think Ohio State arrived at anybody last year. Ohio State did not arrive at, we actually think you should vote for Chase Young first and Justin Fields second, or Justin Fields first and Chase Young second. They just left it up there, which is fine too. But if I wanted to vote for Mac Jones, I would feel like, and maybe I'm misinterpreting, but I would feel like I would be going against what Alabama itself is telling me, and they're the program. So none of us have Mac Jones ahead of Smith. It's just a matter of how much do you like Jones. But last year, LSU didn't say – what's that? What would you say? I did have Smith ahead of Jones. No, all, all, uh, all of, we all have Smith ahead of yeah. Jones. We all, all have Smith. And, and to that sorry, point, sorry, sorry, we, when we have all had Jamar Chase ahead of Joe Burrow, if things were flipped and Alabama had done what they did but, in 2019 and LSU did what they did this year. But nobody thought that for even half a second last year. Yeah. Was there any argument of people saying Jamar Chase is the LSU Heisman candidate? But I don't think LSU mm-hmm. made that case. It was like it's Joe Burrow's team. Well, and this and, year, I don't, I don't think it's the same case. Because last year, I think it, it falls in more what you're saying as far as like the story of – what was the story of college yeah. football last year? It was Joe Burrow, this cast-off, arriving and just lifting this team up. I think that fell, fell more into the narrative. I don't, and I don't think people look at Mac Jones quite the same way. It was like, well, they had him. They also have this other really good quarterback who's coming up behind him. Yeah. So which one? Like maybe he could even be the starter this year. And then when – I think, you know, obviously yeah. the receiver, um, uh, Waddle getting hurt, not only gave um, Smith more opportunity, but I think it also kind of leads to his narrative of being like, he really had the shoulder even more of the load as a playmaker. Yeah. Mac Jones. I don't know if he had the same preseason hype that Joe Burrow unless had a little bit. Cause we, we weren't sure if he was going to beat out the five-star freshman while Joe Burrow was like, Oh, he's got Joe Brady, this whole new offense and all these talented wide receivers. I mean, I did feel like it sort of did feel like that Joe Burrow was like single-handedly lifting up LSU last year. It was like Joe Burrow and the 14 NFL draft picks that were yeah. playing right, with him. Right. And it was like that Again, didn't feel just, like that was much of it. Yeah. I mean, what's the story? No, I agree. I agree. And story is a thing. But I'll listen to Bama, but it's why I voted for Trevor Lawrence. All right. Theoretically. <laughs> it's a guy in a blazer. Uh! <coughs> Would you wear a blazer to an assassination? I'd wear something more all black. Yeah, you got to wear like you know, like a, like a sweatsuit or something. No, I think it depends on what level of assassin. Are you high end assassin, or are you like the guy, the guy you know down the street who you know I has be, no problem going to jail with somebody? Yeah, I want to be the non imprisoned assassin. I want whatever gets me away from that scene as fast as possible. Millionaires are hiring you, and not like the neighborhood thug or whatever. 
I'm Mason Barnett. I'm Stetson's uncle, and I represent the Heisman Trophy Trust, and I am here to murder you for divulging your vote. All right, thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll be back with the Clemson preview on Wednesday. We're just getting the pods out a little later in the day because we're so busy, and we're just kind of on a different schedule this week, but you'll get them all. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, try the text, 614-350. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.